718-972-2970. Dr. Yehoshua Cantor, gentle and attentive care. 718-972-2970. We are... Welcome to Kashrus on the Air, your weekly radio show dealing with kosher issues for the kosher consumer. And I'm your host, Rabbi Yosef Brickler, editor of Kashrus Magazine. Uh, very unfortunate, the last week we weren't, be able to, we weren't able to be on the show, and they played a piece from, in, from the past. But this is uh, current. This is today. We're on, we're on in the, the right time. And uh, I think uh, we have a very interesting show. I would love to have had everything that I was going to say last week and everything for this week thrown in together, but there's not enough time, and they won't let me stay on for two hours. So we're going to try our best to squeeze what we can in to, uh, to one hour. Uh, let me first start with this, something, the Parsha. You know, th- these Parshios are very powerful Parshios. The Lashon Hara from Miriam and uh, from the, the Miraglim, and we come to Kairach. And uh, in the, the Parsha Kairach, Rashi, Kedarka B'Kodesh, Rashi always says, whenever you take the word Kicha, Kuf Ches, he always interprets it as B'Devorim, with speech, with words. And he comes across now, how do we understand that Kairach took words? So he said he took himself with his words. He went to his own brain. He separated himself out of the group. He says it, Nimko says it, he separated himself out of the group. And, and that's, that's bad. That's very, very bad. That's what caused the whole machlokas and his whole destruction that he took himself out of the group. And when I was thinking about that this week, when you know, this Parsha and, uh, and, and, and thinking about uh, the, what the matzav, what's going on outside, and I said, I don't understand. Why are these people protesting publicly, making uh, animosity against all the, uh, so many people? Maybe they're right. And I'm talking about our people protesting. I'm not talking about other groups. The protests that we're making against the government in so many areas, it's very, very dangerous because a lot of people consider it to be antagonistic to the government, challenging them, taking, suing them. It's very strong things. Maybe we're right. But in the old days, the Rabbanim always said, all the G'dayim in America always said, and all the G'dayim in Europe, we're in Gullahs. We're not, yeah, we have Eretz Israel, but we're living in Gullahs. And who knows what could happen in the Gullahs? And we have to think differently when you're in Gullahs. You don't shepherd with the Goyim. You don't start up with them. The Pasuk says that you, you leave, you know, if you see a wild animal, you don't go there. You avoid him. Ravnil used to talk to us about how, Ravnil used to tell us about how you, you walk, if you see some tough Goyim on one side of the street, they're coming towards you, you walk on the other side of the street and nonchalantly pass them, and you'll be safe. But if you confront them, then what's going to happen? And he told the story, which I know very well, and I think everybody who's listening who's older than a certain age remembers it. It's not that old. It's a terrible story with a young man leaving a, 
sports program, and he started a fight with a with a with a goy, and, and the goy killed him. And it's it's it could happen. So, Rev. Miller said, if he wouldn't have started up, if he wouldn't have fought, if he would just walked away, he would still be here today. Very strong problem that we have. So I want to give my solution and my two cents. And I'm not protesting in the street. I'm talking on this radio station, on this particular show of Cosmos on the Air. And I want to give you my protest about camps. My protest. And really, I saw it someplace else, but I'm, but I'm not going to tell you where because I don't want to confuse everybody. And I'm only going to take pieces of it. My question is, how are the camps doing with kashras? Are the camps being run well in terms of kashras? So I saw on the site, and I wanted to share with you a few of the points that they raised, which are very, very good, and I think that this is what parents should be talking about if we do have summer camps this year. And if we don't have summer camps this year, then I think that they should be talking about for next year. So here are a few points. And it really goes back to the old articles that we ran in, in Kashrus magazine from Rabbi Israelowitz about, about the way Camp Aguda was doing its program and Rybelsky was involved in it, Zatzal was involved in it. It's all about the different issues that come up in the camp setting. But I'm just going to highlight a few points that are important for any parent to think about in terms of camp. And you know what? In terms of yeshiva, too. Because who is in charge and what is happening in the yeshivas in terms of kashras? Well, I'm sure that most of them are being done well. I'm not, I'm not challenging anybody. But it's good for a parent to ask a few questions. And here are some of the questions you might want to ask, are there, especially for the camp. Is there any written policies about which the acceptable hashkachas are? That'd be nice to get a list of the what they're using in camp, they, they consider, consider to be acceptable. Uh, who is in charge? And who sets the standards for kashras? I mean, you know, there's an owner, there's a director, there's a, uh, <laughs> there's somebody in the kitchen, uh, there's a few religious people there, some, a lot of goyim in there. I, who, is, who is in charge? Is, is a camp rabbi? Is he in charge? A lot of times the camp rabbi is too busy. Okay, and who's going to pass on the shallows to come up? Now, the next question was about the vegetables. Which vegetables do they use? Do they make their own checking of the vegetables, or do they use the pre-checked ones, and which ones? Another, another one is what do they do about the fruits? Very, it's, it's the summer. Strawberries, blueberries, raspberries, it's the summer. What do they do with it? Good question. Uh, how do they handle the Bishul Yisrael, especially in the convection ovens? Uh, is there a Shomer Shabbos in the kitchen at all times? Is there, you know, things like how do you handle a Frosher's challah? I don't know. You have to ask all these questions. But once you're getting a feel of what is going on, so you can be satisfied that the people are taking care of it. But ask some questions. Who is in charge? It's very important. Is there a real mashkiach of some sort? Even if he's working in other parts of the day, other activities in the kitchen. But is, is somebody that has, knows something, you know, being a mashkiach, not just saying, I have a religious Jew in the kitchen. And more questions of that nature. But 
I, I think that these are uh, the, some of the questions. The, 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 the other big one I thought was about the question of how they designate the dairy and the parva and the, and, the, and the flagic sections. Do they actually have sections in the kitchen? Kitchens are not always that big. How do they, you know, designate parva dairy and meat? Um, and do they mark them? How do they mark the kalim? Those are the kinds of questions you might ask. But I think if you get what my sheet is that you just ask some questions, take three of them. You know, it's about uh, who's in charge and uh, is they have a list of acceptable ashkachas, uh, what do they do for bidikas tovoim, and, you know, something like that. And, and, then, and then from that you'll be able to get an idea and you could decide. So that's my uh, little protest about the camps that uh, we should be asking more questions and we should be interested in uh, the quality of the cautious of our children during the summertime. This is a very difficult time for every one of us. I just heard of somebody who passed away who was very helpful to Cautious Magazine. And constantly, you know, hearing different people who didn't make it. Well, one of the people who I really didn't know at all, I only met him one day, but he made a big impact on me. His name was Sheldon Schreiner. He... Uh, he lived in Long Island, and he was a mashkiach. And I'll tell you how I knew him. And I just I found out that he passed away because his son came in from Israel and uh, wanted me to switch the subscription from his house to, 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 uh, to one of the children's houses. And, 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 and Mr. Schreiner came with me on the first trip that we ran to Positive. I don't know if you remember... If you've been listening to the show long enough, we used to take groups to positive to see how positive produce is, is, is being properly prepared and how much the checking is going on in there and the kinds of issues that they deal with and the ways that they protect that their product is literally bug-free. And it was a very exciting program. And, and Mr. Schreiner who came down there with us, said, at the program, he said, you know, I do, I'm a mashkir, and I have to prepare vegetables for hundreds of people a day. The caterer, a mashkir for a caterer. I have to prepare for several hundred people for a program almost every day. And and they throw it at me, and it has to be done in time. And there's, you know, I can't do all of what you're doing here. You're showing me things that I, I never thought of in my life. I never knew about in my life. And then Mr. Schreiner says something that I can never, ever, ever forget. He's, he's not the, he wasn't the Rav Machshir. He was only a mashkiach. He said... I'm only paraphrasing. He said, I can't do it all, but it will never be the same again. Never. And I wrote that up in an article that we did after the positive program. It made a big impression on me. This man, confident as he was, a very confident man, worked very seriously and hard 
for his conscious organization, felt that he controlled the situation beautifully, pride in his work, but one time you show him you're wrong. There's another, there are things you didn't know about. And he says, I'll never do it the same again. And I believe that that man did change things when he went home. What he did, I don't know. I never followed up on it. It wasn't my issue. But he said this publicly, and that's why we wrote it. I believe we wrote it in his name. And what was interesting was the Kashmir Agency didn't stop me from doing it either, which I thought was amazing, because they were aware of the, the quote that I had from Mr. Schreiner. So that's a was very big loss for us, this gentleman. And I, so many people in Kashmir have passed during coronavirus. Many mashkichim that I've, that I've, I've seen, and, and some beautiful people who have had tremendous impact on Kashmir. But we did have one story, and I'm going to share with you that story. It's about a rabbi, rabbi Dr. Bamberger. Now, Rabbi Dr. Bamberger did not die from coronavirus, but he died during this time. I did not know that when I took on to write the story. I had thought he died of coronavirus. It's certainly terrible to lose anybody, but I felt... You know, I, I had committed myself, and I wanted to keep the story. And I didn't in, in any way uh, tell anybody the, in, the, in the article that it was the coronavirus. And it, it came out now, and so I think it's still appropriate to run it as we did. It's only it says in memoriam, and, I, and I, I've shared a lot with you. But I'm telling you, you will never forget this story. You will never forget it. And we really shouldn't forget this gentleman who went through the Second World War and has tremendous, he was a historian. He, he has a doctorate in, it was in Jewish history. He, he was a rov in a shul in the Kingsbridge Heights Jewish Center where I, where I dived many times. He, uh, he was a very important person and you'll, you'll see a little bit later why. I'm going to share with you a little bit about his history, not, not a lot, and the rest of it you should, you should listen to. If you can get to, uh, to, to hear this on the recorded line that they have, it would be extremely valuable to hear about his life experiences during the Second World War because he's one of those people that got out they got out to Sweden from Denmark on the boats at night in the hold way down below where it was terribly smelly. And he tells the whole story of how he survived and how he was treated. And it's, 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 it's real history. He does a beautiful job. It's really worth hearing. Anyway, let me tell you why I'm, I'm so excited about this story. It's the story that's going to come up. So wait for the story. So here's a little bit written to, from uh, Rabbi Gordimer, about Robin Gordimer, who was appearing <laughs> in my magazine a little bit. Uh, Rabbi Bamberger was born 95 years ago 
in Würzburg, Germany, and it was a direct descendant of the Würzburger Rov, who was one of the great poskim of Germany and a contemporary of Hershamsham Feuerl Hirsch. Rabbi Bamberger's family moved to Denmark in 1933, and was uh, goes on to that a little bit, and then he tells he says tells this story, which, as I said, you will not forget. Remember again who we're talking about, Rabbi Dr. I. Nathan Bamberger, who just passed away at the age of 95, and written by Rabbi Avram Gordimer. Many years ago, I was assigned a new company in the Bronx. That's Rabbi Gordimer telling you because he works for the OU. It was a dairy and pastry operation that did not seem too unusual, except for name, had new contacts, and thereby slipped its way back into the OU system. In other words, it was an OU. They dropped it because of serious violations, and somehow or other, they got the OU again. Two veteran rabbinic coordinators who by Yashkacha Pratis chanced upon this new account, recognized the company from long ago and warned me to be extra vigilant and to personally visit the plant in order to see for myself what was going on. The next day, I made my visit to the company. As I exited the train in the Bronx to proceed to the facility, I sensed that I was in unfriendly territory the street characters, the pit bulldogs, and all presented something a bit different than what I was used to. But when I approached the company, the mood suddenly changed. As I met the rabbinic field representative, which is Rabbi uh, Bamberger, waiting for me, a tall, noble, and very congenial man, who was not at all uncomfortable with this new conscious assignment. This rabbinical field representative, Rabbi Bamberger, exuded a captivating warmth that I did not and shall never forget. Rabbi Bamberger closely monitored the company. He soon detected that the company was likely using non-kosher cheese, as its supply of kosher cheese seemed to always remain the same, while used boxes of non-kosher cheese suddenly turned up in its disposal area. When questioned about it, the company told Rabbi Bernberger that the non-kosher boxes were old packaging from its pre-kosher days, which it not, it, it not, did not have yet have a chance to remove. Rabbi Bernberger returned the next day to see more such non-kosher boxes appear, and no new kosher cheese boxes or depletion of the kosher cheese inventory, despite the ongoing production of cheese-filled products. We therefore anticipated terminating certification in the immediate future. Rabbi Bamberger had also reported that the company, which we began to suspect was connected with organized crime, also had an unauthorized hand stamp of a different respected cashless agency on site so that it 
so that it could illegally affix that Kashrus agency symbol to the packaging. This was another red flag. Rabbi Yaakov Luban, who was very involved with this entire episode in all ways, and who came to visit the company as well, advised that I ask Rabbi Bamberger to return to the company in the morning for a final visit. Check the old non-kosher cheese packaging supply and the use of non-kosher cheese, the use of kosher cheese, and if Rabbi Bamberg was not comfortable with what he encountered, to try to attain a final sense of clarity about it, to do his best to stop the use of the unauthorized handstand. Rabbi Bamberger went back, did not like what he saw, and politely questioned the company, which was suspiciously defensive. Rabbi Bamberger then grabbed the unauthorized handstand, ran for the exit, and darted away in his car. It was like a heart-pounding scene in a police movie. As soon as Rabbi Bamberger escaped from the area, he called me to share this gripping adventure. I thereupon immediately terminated our certification of the company, and cautious alerts were issued on the spot. Baruch Hashem, no threats or harm ensued, and the product never made its way into the kosher market. The years after this, I would encounter Rabbi Bamberger at Karl Dotsky Shurin in Washington Heights, where he occasionally came to stay with his sister and brother-in-law for Shabbos, always exuding extreme warmth and always on time for davening. Rabbi Bamberger's son told me that in his that, that in his father told me that his father was never late for shul and basically only missed shul during his rescue flight from Denmark almost 80 years prior. Rabbi Bamberger would spot me from the seat towards the front left of of KAJ, come over and greet me like a member of his family. We maintained this friendship for years. I truly miss this gentle giant. What a sterling individual. Yehi Zichro Baruch. That's the story. And that little run for the stamp and escape was amazing story to me. I never heard one like that. Really, the man took a chance. He didn't know what was going to happen to him. Remember, there's a question of whether this company was involved in organized crime. But he was asked to get the stamp, and he wasn't going to leave without it. And that's a good mashkiach, rabbinical field representative. Now, if you would like to, I suggest... You go to this address if you want to hear the story about Rabbi Bamberg's escape from uh, from Denmark to, uh, to Switzerland and and his whole life experience of how he got at Germany. It's, it's an extraordinary story. It, it it's beautifully done. If you want to hear it, you go to this. You go. You type in a tiny URL. T i n y URL.com forward slash YCNRWW6S. That's it. I'll do it again. If you have a pen, if 